Welcome back, everyone, to Understanding Climate Finance. My name is Fahim Norali, and I'm the Climate Finance Trade Commissioner based out of the Embassy of Canada in Washington, D.C. It's been a few months since our last podcast episode, so I'm glad that we're restarting with a really great guest. As many of you know, IDB Invest is the investment arm of the Inter-American Development Bank and has been a significant investor in the Latin America and Caribbean regions. In previous episodes of the podcast, you've learned about the work of IDB Lab, and some of the components of IDB, such as the Natural Capital Labs. But today, we have a unique opportunity to learn about IDB's investment priorities. Elizabeth Roberts is the Chief of IDB Invest's Infrastructure and Energy Division, managing all of IDB Invest's activities in energy, transport, water, health, and education sectors. Her experience includes structuring financing in energy and transport sectors of the operations in Chile, Mexico, Uruguay, and Brazil, including for a variety of renewable energy technologies such as solar, wind, and geothermal projects. She holds a bachelor's and master's degrees from Cornell. Prior to joining the IDB group, Elizabeth worked as a consultant for the Ministry of Agriculture of Peru and as an advisor to municipalities and public agencies related to the issuances of over $5 billion U.S. of municipal bonds in the U.S. She was based for three years in the IDB Group office in Santiago, Chile, and now located in Washington, D.C. While this is Elizabeth's first podcast interview for Understanding Climate Finance, our TCS clients will be familiar with her as she's been very generous with her time when talking to Canadian companies that could be a good fit for IDB Invest. She was also a participant in the Climate Finance Roundtable that I hosted two years ago and provided some great perspectives on the supply of capital for climate finance. You can watch those sessions on YouTube or listen to them on as a podcast on this channel. So thank you, Elizabeth, so much for being here. Thank you, Fahim. I'm very happy to be here. No, it's great that we finally got, we're getting, we're getting to do this because I know you're, you're really busy. No, no, it's, <laughs> you know, the typical things of life. But yeah. Yes, I'm so glad we were able to bring it together today. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of gave a really brief overview of IDB Invest, but I thought maybe you could expand on that and kind of give us an idea of what you invest in, what you don't invest in, and now, how much money have you really deployed into the Caribbean and Latin America? Sure, sure. So, as you said, IDB Invest is the you know one of the private sector entities operating in the IDB Group. So, you have the IDB, which lends to governments with a sovereign guarantee and does a lot of work with governments to help build capacity and create projects, and and has a big role in in the region as IDB. IDB Invest is doing anything with the private sector or any kind of of loan which doesn't or, or guarantee or financial instrument which doesn't benefit from a guarantee from the government. So we take risk associated with infrastructure projects, financial institutions, you know, corporate you know, a large group of corporate clients. That that's a big role that we have. We also mobilize a lot of capital, private capital, into the region by bringing in partner banks, as well as the debt capital markets to invest in projects in the region. And so in the infrastructure and energy division of IDB Invest, as you said, we're looking at transportation, water and sanitation, energy, and health and education, those sectors. But we also have teams working on digital infrastructure, if that's of interest, as well as a very, you know, big team working on all kinds of manufacturing, tourism, all, every sector you can imagine we, we can cover it with our teams. We have a portfolio of something like 13, a little over 13 billion in the region, and which consists of 385 clients in 25 countries. So 
We basically are focused on creating innovative financial solutions, and we also provide advisory services to help our clients, you know, in in the earlier stages of their project development or to analyze certain aspects related to their projects. We have an advisory services team that's very active in the region, and we help our clients basically meet their needs and create projects that, that have impact in the region. That's great. One of the things that I really appreciate about IDB Invest is that you're decentralized. So you have investment officers in country. I don't know if you could talk a little bit more about that, how, you know, when you're looking at, at deals, how important that aspect is. Incredibly important. And it's only growing our focus on decentralization and really um, having presence in the region. We have a country office in every member country of our borrowing member countries. We have investment officers in the region that have a really active role, you know, senior officers. We also have, you know, risk officers and lawyers and, you know, development effectiveness officers and, you know, all kind all kinds of members of the team that are in the region. I was based in our office in Santiago for three years. And I found it to be tremendously beneficial because there's no way that from Washington I can know what's going on in Chile as well as I knew during that period. Being there, attending all of the conferences there at that time, and and also you just you just get to know people in a different way, and you can build a level of trust. I think not only with private sector clients, but with members, relevant members of the government, and so that's a real. I think a priority that we have is to expand our presence in the region and make sure that we have that local knowledge and we have those connections to the government that can help, you know, advance projects and and problems come up with projects, which sometimes happens. We can also be an advocate with the government as needed to try to help solve problems and and develop sectors and and have the impact that we really want to have with our projects. That's great. I'm sure those three years in in Chile really is helping you get a good perspective on your on your role now. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it was amazing in the sense that that was sort of at the start of the boom of the solar industry in Chile, and this is, you know, related to the topic of this podcast. There, you know, we did the first utility scale solar project in Chile. We financed it, and then there were many other projects that came. But at that time, I was having probably 10 or 15 meetings a week with so companies that wanted to invest in solar in Chile. It was overwhelming. It was really, really interesting to see that boom. Fascinating. And and you just really get to understand what's going on. You have a more, a better technical knowledge of the laws and the, you know, the regulatory framework and how that affects the sector and the political cycles and how they affect the sectors, especially in the case of infrastructure. So I, you know, I, I benefit. I think a lot of the team that I manage now is based in the region, and I feel like I can really appreciate the role that they play. Uh, it's a really, really critical role. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've come a long way since their first investments in solar now. So maybe you can sort of share your feelings on, on the growth of the energy sector in the region and where you see there's opportunities both in Latin America and the Caribbean, because I know they can be somewhat distinct in, in, in some ways. Yes, yes. Well, there's been tremendous growth in the energy sector. I think, you know, it varies by country, but overall in Latin America, you, you've you seen steady growth for energy demand. I think there was some interruption during the COVID period, but in general, pretty steady growth in, in energy demand. And the main, you know, the main trend that we really try to 
I would say support is the transition, you know, the energy transition that's taking place. And, and that is, you know, moving away from fossil fuels toward renewable energy, reducing reliance on hydropower, which is a major, major energy source in Latin America. Latin America, in fact, has one of the cleanest grids, you know, in the world overall. There is a significant percentage of, of hydropower in the region, but the kind of climate events that we've seen recently have made that less reliable, the hydropower sources. And so even countries with significant hydropower resources like Brazil and, and Uruguay and, and Costa Rica, you know, you, you have countries that are trying to incorporate more and more renewable energy in the form of wind and solar primarily, but there is some geothermal as well, some biomass projects, all kinds of different types of, of projects that we've seen. And, and that sort of transition is something that we've been trying to support, you know, the cost of the renewable energy technologies has been going down. But in many cases, what we've seen is, you know, local local partners want to see these projects up and running, want to see some track record before, you know, the local banks, for example, will be investing in these projects. So we have been coming in and supporting the first projects in a number of these countries. And in many cases, there are new or untested regulatory frameworks, in fact, that we help put in place that we're helping to test by putting the first investment in and helping to, you know, de have that demonstration effect so that other investors will be attracted as well as other, you know, commercial banks. The One of the critical components that we've also used to do that is blended finance, which is, you know, a loan that would come with some terms and conditions that could be different from commercial terms and conditions. It just some money, some of it coming from the Canadian government that we have that we can use to structure these loans to make them more flexible, to overcome risk barriers, cost barriers. So we've used that, gone into countries, financed the first projects, and we've just seen major steady growth in, in, in renewable energy in the region. And it continues in Brazil. I, I mean, I think in the bigger countries is where we expect to have a lot of growth going forward. But there's an upcoming tender in Barbados and and in renewable energy coming more projects in the Dominican Republic and in Guatemala. Um, a lot of battery solutions we've seen that we financed in El Salvador. So a real variety of of technologies, but continued steady growth really is yeah. the summary. That's great. And you did uh, just mention energy storage. And I know that's becoming an increasing priority. How are you looking at energy storage specifically, and, and what kinds of storage are you looking for? We see, in, in the case of energy storage, we see this as a very important trend in the region. You know, as you, and we've seen this in a number of countries all over the world, as you incorporate more and more renewables into the grid, you you reach a point where, you know, there is, the, the, the transmission is a limiting factor, right? So, Batteries are used to can be used to help mitigate that. It's an, a very critical um, component, as well as more transmission. You know, mm -hmm. which is another area where we're very focused. So, but we see, I would say, uh, storage as one of our top priorities. You know, and I would say, in the next five years. You know, I know there's a lot of talk about green hydrogen, and you know that as being this up and coming technology coming. To the region and it has a huge potential in the region and there's massive you know potential for renewable energy and therefore green hydrogen in the region but 
there needs to be transmission and storage to get that done, you know. And so we're really looking at that very focused in a focused manner and trying to support those projects. We've there are different ways to do it. I, the the regulatory frameworks have to be there to support these projects because they can be used to sort of stabilize, you know, the the transmission networks and be kind of like capital investments done by the transmission companies, or they can be projects that are kind of added on to individual solar or wind or, you know, projects. And so we've done both. We've looked at both and have appetite to invest in both. Certainly, we, we again, can apply the, the blended finance resources to help, you know, because it does add cost to the project when there's a battery component. Yeah. But it does, it, you know, we, we see that as a, a real critical part of the ability of the region to continue to incorporate renewables, not only at a utility scale, but also the, you know, sort of the distributed solar that is becoming a huge part, you know, part of the energy matrix as well in Latin America. So, you know, looking at individual household or relatively small scale solar, mainly solar energy, small plants that, that we can attach a battery component to that that make it more flexible as well. So all kinds of storage coming in at different different levels. We have a lot of appetite for that. Yeah. You you mentioned something interesting, and I, and I want to sort of get into it a little bit more. So you you will make that catalytic investment into into a new, uh, an emerging industry in, in, a, in a country, but then sometimes a regulatory, there are regulatory issues that you have to address. Can, do you have a case example where you've worked with your colleagues at IDB where you've kind of come into a country, faced some challenges, worked with IDB, and then you know had sort of an, an overall really positive solution for, for an industry? Well, yes, absolutely. We, we have examples we're working on right now, but one that we worked on recently was the case of Barbados, where in Barbados, you know, historically there's been fossil fuel, mainly there's a lot of distributed solar now, more and more coming onto the grid, it's growing, but there is a lot of appetite. The prime minister has established very uh, ambitious goals for eliminating fossil fuel reliance, which, which is very, very admirable. And so we want to support that. They needed to, within their system, have a power purchase agreement that would be bankable for investors to come in. And, you know, that's critical to to stimulate investment, to know that there is a, a bankable agreement that kind of allocates risks in a way that's appropriate and and, and provides clear, you know, payment and, and all of that for the energy. And it's different. Renewable energy is not the same as a, you know, a baseload energy or like a fossil fuel energy in terms of the way that the PPA works. And so we, and working with our public sector colleagues who who worked on this initiative as well and led with the, you know, the communication with the government and, and the coordination on this helped the the government of Barbados develop a bankable PPA for renewable energy, which which will be used in their in their tender for solar projects. You know, as a as a basis, obviously, you know, there's some negotiation of these PPAs, but as a basis, and I think it gives investors a lot of confidence to know that this is a document that has been reviewed, you know, by IDB and IDB has the expertise, the technological expertise, and then IDB Invest has the view on, is this bankable? What do we see in the market? You know, can we have a legal review of this? These types of things. So it, it gets to be a nice, I think, a really holistic 
approach that we take when we collaborate with IDB and working with the to try to move forward some of these initiatives. And we're seeing that in other areas as well, related to green hydrogen, for example, in, in certain countries. So really strong alliances with our IDB colleagues. Very important. No, that's great. So you you mentioned hydrogen, you mentioned wind um, and solar area of, of growth. What geographies do you, are you sort of the most excited about? What countries are you most excited about where you find there's there's good opportunities? Well, I, I do think the the countries leading in hydrogen would be, I would say, Chile and Brazil. Mm-hmm. There are, you know, they're, they're kind of ahead of the game in terms of development of these regulatory frameworks and putting in place real mechanisms to help fund projects, help some of these early stage costs that are that tend to be to, to you know, developers can sometimes bring some of these new technologies to a certain point, then it, it's very helpful to have some sort of, you know, concessional or grant or whatever you call it, funding to to accessible to these developers. So I think that that's where we see you know, the most, there's activity also in Colombia and in Uruguay and in other countries, Barbados has a Trinidad. There are, there are green hydrogen projects in a number of jurisdictions, Costa Rica, but we do see, I think, you know, in, in probably Chile and Brazil being the leading countries there, you know, just in terms of energy demand tends to follow GDP growth, right? So the country in the world with the highest GDP growth right now is Guyana. And so with, you know, and and there is growth in the oil and gas sector there, but as well, we, you know, there is a lot of demand for energy. And so we, you know, we worked on a, we did a financing for a a small solar project in Guyana as well. And, you know, so that, that's an area where I, there, there could be a lot of changes in the evolution of the, you know, in the energy sector. There are, projects coming up in Central America and Guatemala. There are, you know, all over the place we see growth of, there's really nowhere where you don't see renewable energy coming on, you know, but it tends, there are countries which have sort of in place these systematic auctions, you know, which are a really, what have been seen to be a really useful tool in getting these you know, facilitating project development and providing incentives for that initial investment that investors have to make. And then actually, you know, creating a framework for, you know, this is where the, the you know, the project has to be built by this time. This is the PPA. Those countries, which is, you know, like, again, Uruguay, Brazil, Chile, you know, Colombia, those, those countries have been the most successful in having, you know, series one round after another of, of energy projects being developed. So we, we don't expect that to, to change significantly. Okay. They'll continue to, I think, develop projects, and depending on the timeline as they need them. And political cycles have an impact as well, but we expect those countries to continue with the development of renewable energy. Okay. I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about Haiti, because we have a number of Canadian clients that are interested in Haiti. Can you comment on on IDB invest activity in Haiti and you know what you are looking to invest in or if it's now's not the right time? I w- I wouldn't say that. I I would say, you know, it, there are challenges. This is a place where probably that as I mentioned the blended finance would come into place mm-hmm. because the the risks are significant. The we certainly still have appetite for Haiti. We have, you know, it's it was there've been quite a long period where there was not a lot of work being done, you know, d- 
during the COVID period and there was a period where, you know, we had, we couldn't have many people working in the country for, for, for safety reasons. But now I think things have improved somewhat, somewhat, not, not, you know, in an overwhelming way, but we, we do see some improvement and we have had some, you know, good conversations, particularly with more like corporate clients, I think that are developing projects in Haiti that, that, you know, and so we continue to, to try to support those, you know, with trying with financial institutions as well. It, it is challenging, you know, the kind of lack of governance and clear, clarity related to governance is a limitation for any bank, of course. That being said, you know, we have financed, you know, mini grids in Haiti, and we would love to do more of that. We would love to be able to provide more support to the energy sector, and that's an area where our public sector colleagues are working very, very actively as well. And so I think it would be something that we would be doing in coordination with IDB, you know, mm -hmm. to try to, as an effort of the, the group to, to help support that sector. But we need good developers with projects that we can support. And, and the availability, I think, of the blended finance is also critical to make those projects feasible because the risks are very, very high, as yeah. you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Are there, are there pots of sort of concessional, other than blended finance, which I know is used at, at your discretion for investments, but of grants or any funding for, for project preparation, even through the advisory? There can be, you know, the, the advisory team has funding for project preparation and studies and analysis on a number of levels in, in many countries, right? Typically, we're asking for some counter contribution from the sponsor side to help, you know, that, that we wouldn't be funding 100% of it. And there are limited funds, of course, but there are, I think, more funds available for climate-related projects, projects with gender components. That's where we see the most mm -hmm. availability of these funds, which come from, we channel them through the donors, then the donors trust that IDB Invest will be administering the funds appropriately. And absolutely, I think we could, you know, have access to funds depending on what's the need. We, we're eager to talk to developers if they have projects, you know, in Haiti or elsewhere to try to see if there's something where we can provide value. You know, we have lots of examples of things that we've done. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a study to say, oh, you know, I want to see if this is even feasible. There are certain things because we have our IDB lab colleagues as well, right. which I know that you've spoken to. And they tend to be even further up the, you know, further upstream than we are in terms of some of these new technologies and, you know, a, a little more of like a venture capital type approach versus IDB Invest, which is acting as a bank. You know, we, mm -hmm. we're trying to structure transactions where we can be repaid. The focus is having the biggest impact. So when we need to have that impact and we need these other tools like advisory services and, and blended finance, we have access to that. We try to make that happen. But we are, you know, we are a bank. And so if it's a project that is sort of just an idea, you know, probably yeah. we need a little more than that. Right. Uh, that completely makes sense. But you sort of, in the, in the same vein, thought we could sort of talk about climate adaptation. Yeah. And how IDB is sort of approaching investing into adaptation. I know you and I had spoke briefly before, and you know, there's, it's a big priority for the board. So, can you share some more insight on that and how you're actually looking at climate adaptation as as an investment? Sure, sure. You know, we have a publication that is available now on our website. I want to mention it. It's called Scaling Adaptation Finance in the Private Sector. 
which is was just in, we just published in 2022, late 2022. It was prepared by our, by our climate change team. Basically, what we've seen is that you know of the 20 countries in the world most impacted by climate change, I think nine of them are in Latin America and the Caribbean. You know, so this is a major priority for us. I think you and I have talked about that. It for IDB Invest, we're currently you know, going through a, a capital replenishment discussions with our, our member countries. And there's a lot of discussion about what are the priorities, what should be the priorities if, if we are able to get more capital, you know, to, to be able to, how should we channel that? What are the best, where, where should we be focused? And adaptation comes up again and again and again as an area where the the board, the members of the bank want to see more activity from from IDB Invest. And so I think that's where you see with our climate change team putting a lot of focus, they have created a, a tool, you know, in the case of infrastructure projects where we can review them in the context of climate change, resilience and risk and, you know, trying to identify areas of weakness and, and make recommendations where projects can be strengthened and, you know, provide real technical feedback, you know, for, for our clients and, and, the challenge with with infrastructure projects, you know, you have large scale infrastructure projects that are, in many cases, awarded through public concessions, for example, and, you know, the a lot of the details of the projects are quite kind of pre-established by governments or you know these public entities that are, and so, you know, the the developers they bid on the project, they don't have a whole lot of flexibility to make changes to the project, you know, adaptation changes either. So we also, on the public sector side, try in the development of projects to, to the extent that we can to have that impact. But there are, you know, when a client comes to us, we will use this, this you know, review, this tool that we have to evaluate the, you know, kind of the, the, the vulnerability of any individual project to climate change. And, and then again, trying to provide incentives for additional investments to be made. And there's a wide range of investments. You know, we've had a port project in Suriname recently where, you know, the our, our technical consultant recommended very simple things about relocating some of the infrastructure at the port to higher ground to, you know, not, and, and it's not such a huge in expensive change, but it's just something that the borrower hadn't, contemplated because that's the way that's where that electrical technology was already always located and that's where they had planned to keep it but you know these types of relatively simple you know solutions can be incorporated so we do try to look at each project with that perspective and see where we can add value and if we can incentivize those investments with again with blended finance or some sort of technical assistance resources for studies or you know, and as some other type of investment, then we'll do that. And and I think it's a critical part of what our advisory services team is trying to, you know, build capacity related to that, mm -hmm. to adaptation in the context of, you know, if we have more capital and we're looking at a real focus on these climate change issues, that's where we want to have more capacity, one of the areas. And so we're very active in, in, in the analysis of the projects and, you know, happy to answer questions and bring our technical expertise, you know, to not necessarily even clients, if there are companies that have questions, you know, to, to have mm -hmm. those conversations. We're very open to that.
Okay. Yeah. Within that sort of adaptation umbrella, you have nature-based solutions. And nature-based solutions has somewhat come to the forefront, particularly after the nature cop uh, we had in Montreal late last year. And I know IDB groups of Invest Lab and and, and the IDB is, is really looking at how do you invest into nature? How are how is IDB in, invest looking at nature-based solutions? Currently, th- this is not a policy requirement for mm-hmm. us. You know, there is nothing in our policy that has that refers to it, nature-based solutions explicitly in the sense that it's a requirement. You know, we do are we we have looked at it quite closely. Obviously, it. it there's, I think, an application for certain projects more than others. But within our requirements, we do look at efficient use of resources for every project, mm-hmm. you know. And so reducing water usage and, and reducing energy usage and, and, you know, efficiency types of, of investments. And so through those policy requirements, we sometimes can connect these things. But it is not a it is something certainly that we want to promote, something that we want to support and and continue to educate ourselves on and the benefits of these things, like, you know, be part of the discussion, but it currently is not a requirement, you know, that we have. I know that there are a number of, you know, I'm not the expert in this area, but there are a number of sort of higher level, you know, MDB groups discussing this type of thing. And we're certainly part of those discussions. Open to any suggestions, of course. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll send you a few clients. Yeah. (laughs) Good. But it, it sort of reminds me of another question. When you're looking at investments and evaluating you and you know, the risk officers and, and, and the whole team, where do projects fail, both on the financial side and on the impact side? Where, what are sort of the red flags or, or where do you see that a common issue that could be should have been addressed earlier? That's a great question. Wow. So, so you mean fail? You mean fail to get approved? Yeah, fail to get approved. Fail to get approved. Not a lot of projects fail to get approved, you know, because, well, I mean, let's say, you know, of of every one project that we actually approve and, and close and disperse, we've probably looked at, in the case of infrastructure, 50 projects, you know, or 30 or, you know, so many, many multiples of projects that we look at that you know, are not either ready for financing or, you know, don't have that kind of clear economic, you know, benefits that make it bankable or, you know, things like that. There are cases where you have projects moving along and and being developed. And then in many cases, there will be like a political change that will slow down the project Mm -hmm. at, at the very least or even stop it. And that's something that is, you know, difficult sometimes out of the control of IDB Invest, you know, specifically, right. but, and the developers as well, but something that, you know, is, is sort of part of doing business, I think a bit, you know, that there are different priorities depending on political changes that happen in, in, in different countries. You know, I think the, one of the things that we have been focusing on is this idea that, you know, you have your financial risks and they're a little bit easier to analyze a lot of times in the sense of saying, okay, you have a PPA with this, you know, entity and let's look at their balance sheet and let's look at, you know, their history of payment and let's look at the 
solar radiation in the country and the technology you're using. And we can look at all of those things and, and analyze them quite well. But there are a lot of like non-financial risks that happen that become real problems over time. And so we're finding that we're adding a lot of value with our projects through the environmental and social analysis that we do, or this climate change analysis that we do, or corporate governance is a big issue, you know, mm -hmm. where things are going along well, and then, you know, there are two partners in a project that just can't make an, have an agreement, or, you know, and the governance uncertainty creates real problems. And, and, you know, that's an area we have a whole team that analyzes corporate governance and provides recommendations. And we provide, we can hire consultants to help clients create some of these corporate governance structures that, that they don't have otherwise that can re be very, very important. And so these issues that are, don't seem to be on the face to be government, to be, you know, financial issues become financial issues quite quickly. So the, all kinds of areas of failure. For us, also integrity issues are of utmost importance. So, if there's any, you know, integrity failures, then the project is outside of our mm -hmm. tolerance. You know, typically, our, our you know our risk tolerance for those types of so different areas. And we have teams analyzing all of these things for projects. Right. You know, and every project has a, has a, a story. <laughs> there are very I don't know of any projects that have no issues throughout the whole. You know, infrastructure projects can be. 20 year, 25 year projects, right. you know, things happen. And we, that's one of the things that I think we're good at is being a partner to our clients and not, you know, not, we, we want to be sitting at the table trying to find solutions for these issues rather than saying, you know, you know, blaming anyone for what happens, you know, let's try to find a way to work it out because the project is what we want, the impact of the project. And right. that's, that's our focus. How long does it take? And I know it's a very generic question and it's yeah. very, you know, contingent on the country and the sector. But from the time that a, a company would start a conversation with you to the time, let's say, every, at least on the financial side, everything goes well, how yeah. long would it take for it it, 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 it? it does depend, as you say. And I, I know I hate that answer, but, you know, we had we have different structures, you know, it depends to some extent on the, the size of the project, the complexity of the project, the size of the structure, the size of the, the, the nature of the structure. I, basically, is it a project finance structure or is it a corporate structure? Mm -hmm. A project finance structure basically means if you're building a project, we're really taking the risk of the project, that it works, that the, that the off-taker pays, that, you know, using the example of an energy project, and and in those cases, we have to review all the contracts and the construction agreements and the, you know, it's, it can be a, a bit technical, the engineering, all of these things have to be reviewed because it's really the project that's paying us back. So that can take a bit longer. And it also takes time to get those, that analysis done. Corporate structures can be a little more streamlined in the sense that we're taking advantage, we're, we're looking at sometimes, you know, a a company could be a big company, could be a small company, but with a corporate guarantee, then we can focus our analysis on, you know, the, their performance and their ability to repay the loan. But we're always for every infrastructure project, we're looking at the environmental and social impact and we're looking at the governance issues and we're looking at, you know, integrity and, and, and you know, so I've we've done projects anywhere from two months to two years, you know, and, and, and so it can depend in, I personally, in my personal experience, I think that MDBs, at least IDB invest 
is not significantly different in terms of its time for approval and signing than a commercial bank. You know, especially for a large infrastructure project, which is sort of sort of like our bread and butter. You know, this is the core foundation of what the bank does. So, you know, the biggest projects that I've been involved in, IDB Invest was the first to get their approval among commercial banks and other development banks. So it can be quite a lot of it depends on how much information is ready when we come to the table. Mm -hmm. On average, I would expect, you know. Six to nine months, okay. to be fair. A smaller project may be faster than that. But if it's a corporate structure with something where you have a lot of information ready, we've done, again, two months. You know, we right. can do it quickly. Yeah. So I guess partly is a function of where your risk is. Yeah, you know? where your risk is and how much support you need. I mean, you know, we're a lot of the clients we work with are sort of repeat clients. And so... They have a project in Colombia and then they're doing one in, you know, another country, Peru or, you know, and and so they get to know us, we get to know them. And then the first one might take a little more time, but the second one, you get into kind of a rhythm with the client, they know us. But, you know, a lot of it, I, in my experience, depends on the availability, when the information is available. Yeah. Where in the capital structure do you like to, to be in? Well, we're everywhere in the capital structure. <laughs> we do have an equity team that does equity. It's, you know, right now one kind of a growing business for us. And so, but we do also mezzanine and, and you know, anything from full equity to 100% debt, you know, anything like is, is, is on the table for us. Thing, you know, we can consider. And again, we do have these blended finance resources. Mm-hmm. So we can structure things that look a lot like equity and we can structure things that look a lot like debt. We also are doing a lot, you know, I think it's worth noting the mobilization of these capital markets investors. So you have this traditional product of of development bank of an A loan, B loan, you know, where the B lender is a commercial bank, you know, we're the A lender and the B lender is a commercial bank that comes in and benefits from the umbrella of the bank. There are certain you know, benefits in terms of tax immunities and benefits that you receive lending under the umbrella of, of a development bank in, in, you know, in certain countries. And, but rather than a, a bank coming into the B loan, what we've been doing more and more of is bondholders, you know, issuing a bond and having that be like individual bondholders that are, are buying participations in that. And you end up, you know, having a totally different type of, of investor that, that, that comes in. So, you know, all kinds of financial instruments. We also do guarantees, you know. Mm-hmm. So if there is a particular risk, maybe during construction or there is a particular risk associated with, you know, some some aspect of the, the country, the political issues or, you know, there's some risk that needs to be mitigated, we can provide a guarantee as well. So all kinds of solutions. And we're constantly coming up with new solutions depending on what our clients need you know i i really pride our, i take pride in what our ability to not say no immediately you know we, yeah. we stop and we think about it we we you know we have great teams in our risk department finance department legal department you know all of these teams are really supporting us to try to allow us to you know bring the solution that our client needs yeah so they want you to say yes. They want us to say yes. And I think we want to say yes to the extent that we can. And I think that, you know, that's what's distinguished IDB Invest from 
I think in in IDB market in the MDB markets. I'm I'm biased, hundred percent biased, <laughs> but but we do, you know. And and I've been part of those conversations where I see, you know, we're really trying to figure out a way to find these solutions to to bring products. And it's great when a client comes to us with an idea. Oh, can we do this? Or yeah. you know, and so we like to we like to hear it. Great. Um, so just looking at Canadian project developers specifically. How can they prepare for a conversation with you? Well, I mean, I you know, I, first of all, we don't want to discourage them to think that they have to have some big portfolio of, you know, you know, a business plan or, mm-hmm. you know, ready to come talk to us. Anytime is fine. Come talk to us. Reach out to us. We have people in, in, in many different countries. We'll, re- we'll talk to, you know, we have developers that say, I really want somebody who can talk to me about the energy sector in... Guatemala, wherever it is, and we can put them in touch with that person. Or I want to understand, you know, the the legal risks in this country. You know, so if if even if if that's what you want to understand, let us know. We want to create these relationships. That's really important to us. We don't want to just finance transactions. You know, we want to be a strategic partner for our clients and say, look, how can we help you get to the goals that you're trying to reach and our goal is to have the impact okay mm-hmm. and we're very transparent about that but we uh, will work with you and we want it to be a, a relationship that develops and that there's you know benefits on both sides and not just you know oh, here's the money and we'll see you in you know next time you need money no let's keep open these conversations so i mean it is ideal if there is a specific project that needs to be financed it is ideal to have some sort of summary of the project and to have you know identified you know, the, the, the technology and the, I'm speaking from infrastructure perspective, but you know, that's kind of what we're looking for is, is some, you know, idea of what, what you need the money for, how you're going to repay the loan, you know, those basic things, but coming to us with questions is absolutely fine. Absolutely welcome. We really, you know, want to, want to talk to the developers. So. Good. Yeah. like I said earlier, you've been really great with answering a lot of our questions. Yeah, I love Canadian companies. <laughs> I love the, you know, just the the attitude and the fact that sometimes in my perception, at least the Canadian companies will take on the harder, some of the harder technologies, the hard, solving, trying to solve some of the more difficult projects, problems in, in certain countries that are really challenging. So that that's kind of where I, you know, what, what makes me most excited to work yeah. in this in development in this region so i tend to, i've had a lot of interaction with canadian companies in the past and really enjoyed it great good well thank you elizabeth for all of this I, i'm sure we could just go on and on we could um, so we'll probably have to have you back at some point okay <laughs> really want to see how things sort of evolve over the next year particularly after you know hopefully you know capitalization and and l- when you're looking at more and more climate investments through idb yeah um, invest so thank you to all of you our listeners for your support Uh, feel free to share this podcast with your colleagues post it on social media or share your comments of this podcast on your favorite podcast platform you'll see that i made a new group for this podcast on linkedin encourage you to comment and have your discussions there we look forward to sharing our next episode very soon the understanding climate finance podcast is a production of the embassy of canada in washington dc so until next time thank you